The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, this Reformation Day, we have a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot that we take for granted that 500-some years ago no believers had and and it was actually 500 years ago this year, 1523, that William Tyndale began translating the Bible from Greek into English in the New Testament. And his desire was that, that every plowboy, every, every boy plowing the field would be able to know and read God's Word and understand it better than the priests, who even the priests didn't know God's Word and, and couldn't read it. Martin Luther, six years earlier, on October 31st, sparked the Reformation, wanting all to know God's truth. And he taught in his churches to to children and to adults God's law. He, He thought it was important to teach the law and the gospel. And John Calvin and other reformers as well followed in that pattern. In Luther's large catechism, over half of the questions are answering or talking about the Ten Commandments. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, about 40% of the, of, of the catechism is a Q&A on God's law. That was the, in the next century that came out. But that's where we're going to be again in Exodus chapter 20, if you want to be turning there. Some of you are familiar with the New England primer that was used by school kids in America from around 1680 to there was a 1922 edition. And it also had that whole section on what each of the commandments meant and forbids and and what it calls for. Kevin DeYoung says this, the church has historically put the Ten Commandments at the center of its teaching ministry. For centuries, when people asked, how do we do discipleship? How do we teach our kids about the Bible? What do new Christians need to know about Christianity? Their answers always included in their, in their teaching materials an emphasis on the Ten Commandments across various traditions. There has been this historic emphasis on Exodus chapter 20. And today our emphasis is going to be verse 16. This is the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And to put that in the context of, of the 1500s and what we remember on, on Reformation Day, the, the Roman Catholic Church was bearing false witness about Scripture plus tradition and, and salvation by grace plus works and faith plus merits, and Christ, plus his mother, and glory to God, but also glory to saints and the Pope. But the the Reformation recovered the truths that, no, based on Scripture alone, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. That's what we were just singing about. And Luther bore witness to that truth, and he was put on trial for it. He had to Go on the witness stand. But praise the Lord, he refused to bear false witness for the sake of his neighbor and the sake of his Savior. He committed to tell the truth and to be a true witness. And may we say with him, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me to tell the truth. This language of the ninth commandment is the language of testifying, and it's especially or or technically, it has to do with a legal context. So think of a, a courtroom where you, you put your hand on the Bible and you raise your other hand and you swear to tell the truth. Say it with me. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. That's, that's really the essence here. Is you, the, the context of, of publicly calling God as witness that you are going to be a true witness. And asking his help that you would tell nothing but the truth. And the whole truth. And so that's the main idea of the ninth commandment, that you would never falsely condemn another, but don't relax if you've never taken the witness stand and, and committed perjury. I think you all know by now not to say, finally, this is the commandment that I've kept. I mean, if you think you've kept this commandment, you're violating it even by thinking that. 
because we've all fallen short of this command in, in all of them. But this is not just about giving testimony at a trial, even though that was certainly something very important in their society. And think about even before forensic evidence and other ways to convict, it was critical that there was two or three witnesses that would, that would be able to convict or condemn someone and, and not just one person. But this is, this is not just about testimony at a trial. This is really about truth-telling towards our, our neighbor. It's it's an, about not wrongly speaking against another, that, that language of against in particular, or about others. And so for our outline here, I want us to look at God's law against false witness and lying, and then gospel truth and God's help to speak truth. So the outline again, God's law against false witness and lying and I think I may have a slide you guys could help pull up. Gospel truth and God's help to speak truth. The Hebrew word false in verse 16 is often translated lie or lying. And sometimes there's another generic word for, for falsehood that's, that's substituted. Hosea 4 verse 2 mentions lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. That's commandments 6, 7, 8, and 9. But instead of a technical false witness, it uses the word, a different word for lying. It kind of substitutes it there. Or 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10 lists murderers and then those committing sexual sin and men-stealers and liars and perjurers. And again, those are commandments 6, 7, 8, and 9. But the one against bearing false witness isn't just perjurers, it's liars and perjurers. He, he puts those two terms together in, in expounding on that. In Matthew 15, verse 19, Jesus lists commandments 6, 7, 8, and 9, and he says this, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So Jesus adds the word slander also to false witness. So it's, it's slander. You're speaking against Someone, And you can even do that with true information that you twist, or we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Matthew, or Mark 10, verse 19, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. And so he's, he's adding to the false witness one, defrauding. So slander, false witness, defrauding, lying, all of those are put together. Proverbs 6 gives a list of Sins that God hates and abominates, and they include a lying tongue and a false witness that breathes out lies. So Scripture links bearing false witness to lying and related sins, defrauding and slander and all that. My, my favorite Reformed statement of faith, the Heidelberg Catechism, says this about the, the Ninth Commandment, and we can pull it up here, that we're to... Let's read this out loud together. Never give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words. Not gossip or slander. Nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. I think that's a very good summary of what this is all about. And, and really, all of the commandments have a, a negative prohibition, but the positive opposite is called for. And so next week, we'll look at you shall not covet. The flip side of you shall not covet is that we need to be content. You shall not murder. The flip side is we also need to guard and preserve life. And so not bearing false witness also calls us to, to guard and to preserve and to uphold and to speak the truth and nothing but the truth. And so character assassination would be a part of what this commandment forbids. Or, or even taking truth and misusing truth against someone and against their reputation. So that was written in 1563, but I think in 2023 there's a lot of ways that we can violate that. And I'm, I'm thinking of how we can bear false witness electronically. I think in court and everywhere else includes the court of online opinion and the World Wide Web or on email or on messenger, how easily and quickly untrue or unsubstantiated links can be forwarded. 
or on social media, Christians share stories to score a political point, but don't really verify that it's true. They just want to put that point out there. Or on Twitter, even churchgoers will just comment and condemn rashly without a hearing fellow believers. And the platform seems to kind of encourage that. Instantly comment on things that you don't know the full story. Or on a blog, misinformed comments, just joining in and, and jumping on. On Facebook, I've seen pastors take shots at other pastors, what they said or did. And I even read one that said, yeah, I haven't watched it, but someone said this at a conference about a pastor. And if this is true, then I think, and I'm just thinking, reading that, that's, that's not the way that we should be modeling things as as believers, on YouTube, deception can go viral, and how much misinformation or disinformation can be shared, as we've seen in recent years, by the click of a mouse. Church members can share conspiracy theories, fake news, false information. I was just on, on a website, and something came up. It was I, I recognized a picture of a respected Christian leader, and it was giving testimony to why they really left their ministry to sell medical marijuana. And I, I just, it, it didn't seem right. And so I went and I, I Googled that, that person's name and the story. And, and what, what I found out, it was a slanderous, fake, false advertising where they were taking their image and using it to sell a product. I've seen discernment bloggers and ministries misrepresent and twist words of leaders. I've had people falsely impersonate me with text or email messages that lie and even have been sent to some of you asking for Amazon or iTunes gift cards for a widow or someone in the hospital by a fake account. Please know if you ever see anything like that from me, give me a call because that's not me. But it's, it's sad that people would even do that. Some of you lie over the phone. Someone calls and says, did I wake you? And you say, no, no, no. <laughs> or, or maybe it's a little different now because we all have our own cell phones, but maybe in times past someone would call and ask if you're there and you're telling your family member, no, <laughs> tell them I'm not here. Or maybe you text, I'm on my way, but you're really not and you're not going to be for a while. Or maybe you're 15 minutes out, but you say, I'm, I'm 10 minutes away. And you know full well you're at least 15 minutes away. But it sounds better to say 10 minutes away. Or maybe you lie to your iPhone when it asks you, are you driving? Just hypothetically. You can sign or check online boxes untruthfully. I've con- I'll confess, I, I've acted like I was on the phone just to avoid a conversation with someone. It's a body language lie. I've, I've in the past, called in to my boss a sick day just because I wanted to go to the lake. That wasn't here at the church. That was a long time ago, but that was when I was in college. But back in high school, I remember lying to my parents about movies I watched and how much I hurt them by that. I, I remember one time I even lied and said on the phone I was my dad for a tow truck because they needed me to be a certain age. That was, that was bad. Um, I still feel bad about writing my name on Paul Latham's fourth grade math homework. I, I just didn't want to do it, and his name was close to mine, and, and I wrote my name down so I could get credit for the assignment, and he, he got in trouble, and I still to this day feel horrible about that. If I ever find him, I'll ask his forgiveness. But some of you lie on schoolwork. Some of you lie on your time cards or your taxes. You might round up hours. Maybe you round up numbers in some setting with because it'll be a little bit better for you. And maybe some of what you do, you call it a fib instead of a false witness. Or you call it a white lie instead of a Wicked lie. We, some of you are thinking, I mean, is it really a big deal to God to overestimate or overstate how much you made or how much you gave? Let me tell you a story from Acts 5. 
Ananias claimed to give all the proceeds of a property he sold to the church, and he maybe even gave most of it, but it says with Sapphira, his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, you could have you could have kept it all. It wasn't about that you've got to give a certain amount or percent, but it was the deception. He says, what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. God struck him down on the spot in the early church. And then three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that was the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? And it says she also was struck down and fell down and died. And great fear seized the whole church. This is the early church. And the Lord knows that this is going to be a problem for the church. The Lord takes this very serious. And, and you can be assured the people took this very serious after that happened. It says great fear seized them. Because they, they knew they had pretended to make themselves look better and more spiritual at times others. We can test God in the same way. It's trying to look better than we really are and act like it or keep back for ourselves while keeping up appearances before others on Sunday or to claim more or take more credit than what we really should or actually have done or when we ask family members to help cover for us. This is a serious sin, and God is deadly serious about lies that churchgoers tell to make themselves look better than they really are. And if you're still in Exodus 20, it says in verse 20 that God tests us so that his fear will remain before us so that we may not sin. We should fear knowing that we've exaggerated, we've embellished what we've done, we deserve to die too. And lying not only deserves death, it deserves eternal death. Revelation 21.8, all liars shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire. Hell will be full of people who lied to themselves and lied to others and ultimately, as Peter diagnoses it, have lied to God And his spirit, Peter says, your lying isn't ultimately against man. It is ultimately a sin against God. And it is ultimately Satan filling your heart. Jesus said in John 8, 44, the devil has been doing that, quote, from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan deceived, remember in the beginning, Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say? You can't eat any tree from anywhere in the garden. You, you see, he's, he's asking, you could just say, I'm, I'm asking a question. But he's, he's in making an insinuation. He knows how to ask the question. Did, did, God, did God really say that? Really? God? You can't eat any other. Of course, God didn't say you can't eat out of any tree. God actually said the the whole earth is yours. There's just one prohibition. But you see what He does. Did, did God really say is 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 God is God really that stingy that He would hold back from you? And He's been twisting the truth. Sometimes saying things that are partially true, not outright complete contradictions of truth, but twisting the truth, adding to His words. Proverbs 30, verse 6, do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. When you add to what he said, he rebukes you and you will be found a liar. And the catechism said that it's the very, it talked about the the devil uses these devices. And even unbelievers in this life, there are consequences short of death. As we see in Genesis, Adam and Eve didn't die physically the day that they sinned. 
but their nature tried to hide, didn't it? And that's been passed on to children who have been born to them ever since, wanting to hide. And I mean, think of Cain when he was guilty. God asked him where his brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? And he's trying to to sidestep the the truth and avoid the question. I mean, that's that's a way we can we can show our hearts. But really, we see that through the generations of all children born ever since Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. Little kids can lie before they can talk. I mean, they can hide and, and they they know certain things they're not supposed to do when they're real little. Listen to Psalm 58, verse 3. It says this about sinners. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Toddlers can lie with their body language. They don't have the vocabulary yet, but they've, it's there in their heart. They're little liars in diapers, so we might say. And when Moses wrote to the Jews the ninth commandment, they already knew the Genesis backstory. Abraham, the father of their faith, in the chapter that he's introduced, chapter 12 of Genesis, he goes into Egypt and he lies about his wife, says she's his sister because of fear. And then when God comes and gives the promise to Abraham and Sarah, Genesis eighteen fifteen, it says, Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. This is when the Lord comes, gives the promise. He says, you laughed. And she lied. She gets afraid, says, I did not laugh. The Lord said, yes, you did laugh. In Genesis 20, again, after Abraham and Sarah go to another kingdom, he again says, this is my sister. And in that case, he he tries to justify it as a half-truth. She is related to my, and he, he, he describes how she's, partially a relative, but it was a lie, and it brought judgment on him. And then, like father, like son, in Genesis 26, Isaac, when he gets in an opportunity with his wife, Rebecca, he does the same lie. And we see the consequences playing out from father to son. And then Rebecca later teaches their son, Jacob, to deceive, to deceive Isaac, in his old age, in his failing eyesight, to think he's the other son, and, when, and concocting this whole plan and this whole stew and giving him hairy arms and the whole thing. And Isaac, even though his eyesight was bad, he, he questioned his voice. This sounds like Jacob and not Esau. How, how did you get the food so quickly, my son? And this is what Jacob said, Yahweh your God brought it to me. I am Esau, your firstborn. Are you really my son? I am. Come near now and kiss me, my son. He wanted to have him close to see if he would kiss him and and the smell of him. And then he smells, wow, this is my son. Maybe I'm just losing it in my old age. And he, he blesses him. He gives him the blessing. Jacob deceived his blind dad for the blessing. And these are the good guys. You say, these are the good guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The ones the covenant promises come through. This is them. The family of Israel shows them and us that lying can come from fear. It can come from embarrassment just in a moment. You laugh. No, I didn't laugh. It can come from just flat out wanting something for our benefit. But Jacob reaps what he sows with Laban. Laban, who deceives him, deceives him about how many years he would have to work and then even about the, which daughter he was going to wake up with on his wedding night. This is a messed up family. But Jacob's sons, through that marriage to Leah, also later in life would lie to Jacob about what happened to Joseph and what they did to Joseph. And they bring him the multicolored robe that he gave him, and it's covered with blood. And they say, see if you can recognize this robe. And they might not have even said the words, we think animals killed him. They, they want him to come to that conclusion, but they're deceiving him by their actions. 
So this is Jacob now, the supplanter, the deceiver, even to his old age is being deceived. That's the forefathers. That's the family history that brought these people to Egypt who Moses is writing Exodus 22. And it helps fill out what might have been in Moses' mind in verse 5 of this chapter when he says, the sins of the father can be visited on the children to the third and the fourth generation. That's exactly what had happened with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Reuben, and Simeon, and the rest. Verse 16 is to stop that cycle. By grace, parents in our generation can stop that cycle. We need to teach the ninth commandment, and we also need to seek Forgiveness, where we fail to keep our word, where we realize we've done this, to be able to go back to people and say, that was, that was wrong, that wasn't quite right. Even as parents, to be able to go to our kids and say, would you forgive me? I said I was going to do that, and I didn't. Please forgive me. We need to recognize, and we need to, I think, re- repent of sin at its root. If it's fear that's driving that tendency or that temptation, fear of man, or you're just coveting better things than what you have, or you're covering bad things about you, don't lie. Don't lie to family members with, here's, here's one that can happen easily, you always, you never when it's not true, maybe it feels that way, but there's better ways to express how you're feeling. I'm concerned that this may be a, a pattern. This is how this is impacting me. Don't, don't mislead or misjudge others and their motives and always make them the bad guy. Make yourself the good guy. Be careful even telling stories that make it sound better than it really was or just make it funnier so that people will laugh and think you're funny. Don't lie about church family members. Or your fellow man, Kevin DeYoung, gives examples of how we can falsely accuse or assume. She didn't talk to me this week because she's really mad at me. Or the way he wrote that email, the way he wrote that text, he must be thinking such and such. He, he just gave this little reply, this little word, he must be angry. He, he couldn't be busy, he's got to just be angry. And we have these hypotheses and these speculations that sometimes we tell them to other people. And we pass them along as truth or a question or something we're concerned about or, or something we want to pray about. But we need to just do a time out and, and say, is this true? Is this something that I've even talked to this person about? Do, am I motivated by love for this person? And if so, I need to talk to this person. Or is just, do I know that this is true? If not, I need to hold back. I could, I could find out by talking to the person, but he says, we can... We can also just only emphasize the mean thing another person said or did and not talk about what we did before or after. We're, we're skilled at that. or We know how to leave out information and, and summarize a really long conversation in a way that makes us or our side look good and, and them or their side not look so good. We can pass along information with a certain implied tone. What do you think about this? We can pass along a report or a rumor that cannot be substantiated, or we can even pass along something that we believe to be true unnecessarily. Here's a question. Think, would this person be happy about me and this information that I'm about to share about them? And if you're not sure, hold off. Even good things, maybe they're not ready for you to share that this is where Christ's golden rule can apply to talking about others the way that we would want them to talk about us. How would we, if we're not in that conversation, want them to be portraying us or just not at all? I think we need to not even listen to slander or gossip. We need to, we need to work to help each other to not speak that way. Say, I don't know if we should be having this conversation. Sounds like maybe you need to pray or maybe go talk to this person but anything that may not be the full or the fair picture. Here's what Proverbs 17.4 says. A liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. It's the liar that actually gives a platform, gives ear to a mischievous tongue. We need to not be that person. 
Puritan Thomas Watson said this, He that raises a slander carries the devil on his tongue. That's what the devil's name means. It means slanderer, accuser. So he that raises a slander carries the devil in his tongue. He that receives it carries the devil in his ear. This is serious. When to stop giving ear to secondhand information without all the facts, especially behind his or her back. The Bible pattern is to lovingly talk face-to-face with someone. If there is a sin, to show them that, help them in private. And then there are times when you've tried that and you need to bring someone alongside to help and not tell a bunch of people, maybe one or two spiritually-minded people to help this brother or sister. We need to love our neighbor. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love, one of the things that marks love is it believes the best, hopes the best, endures it believes the best and speaks the best until the facts prove otherwise. And sometimes they do, but don't say things about your neighbor, your fellow man, that you wouldn't say to him. And then there is a flip side of this. You can say, you can lie by being overly nice. The opposite, flattery, is also described as lying in Scripture. Listen to Psalm 12, verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors with flattering lips. It's common for us to, maybe another way to describe that would be saying to to someone's face what you would never say about them to someone else. You'd never say this behind their back, but you say it to their face. It's It's a false praise. It's a fake flattery that you're just saying to try to butter them up or whatever. One study found 91% of people lie regularly. 31% believe honesty is the best policy. I was kind of surprised that number was so low. 31% believe honesty is the best policy, but they lie 92% of the time to save face and 98% of the time to keep from offending. And so that kind of opens up a whole other category of we don't want to offend people, but we can, we can make excuses that really aren't exactly true. And I think sometimes we're trying to even convince ourselves as we make those excuses that they're true, but they're not. I know I've been guilty of that. Or maybe you're embarrassed, so you say something, or, or you don't want to embarrass. And we need to pray for God's wisdom. Sometimes it's good to, to wait and to hold back, but... Uh, I can be tempted to embellish stories or exaggerate how many hours I slept or how long something took. Here's a convicting one. When I say, I'll pray for you, and, I, and then I fail to, I think it's, it's better to say, and I've been trying to say this more consistently, I'll, I'll try to pray for that, but can I pray for that right now? So they've asked me to pray, and I want to honor that, and to pray with them at that moment. Maybe you're doing terrible. Someone asks you how you're doing, and you say, I'm doing great. You know, there are times where people are just making small talk, but we need to make sure we're not pretending to be something that we're not. And, and with people who know us in a relationship, I think we need to be able to share. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, and maybe now's not the time to talk about it, but, but pray for me. I'm having a, a hard time, actually. I think we can fix switch into this fake mode when we're around other Christians. But we need to have people that we know who we, we can tell what's going on in our life. We need to not be pretenders. Hypocrisy is lying. Listen to First John 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. So if we say we have fellowship, but we're walking in, in, in the, the walking in darkness, there is this habitual and hypocritical living in unrepentant patterns. That's lying. And then verse 8, 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Have you been thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I don't really sin very much? You're deceiving yourself. And then verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. That's the worst when we're calling him a liar and his word is not in us. If you say you have no sin or haven't sinned by lying, you're deceived. But more than that, you are calling God and his witness into question. You're calling him a liar. 
May we never do that. 1 John 2, 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Again, this is not just a a one-time stumble. This is a willful, habitual pattern of disobedience. Here's another test. 1 John 4, 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Professing Christians who hate are liars. Those who say they believe but don't keep his law, according to God, are lying. And so the law, I mean, do you feel the force of how the law bears witness against us? The law shows all of us are guilty. Only God is true, though every man is a liar. We are all Guilty of violating this law. And so we need, number two, gospel truth and God's help to speak truth. I think our generation needs this. As I saw one survey that said most Christian youth don't, don't believe in an objective truth standard. But it's into this world that Jesus comes and he is described in John's gospel as full of grace and truth. At the beginning of John's gospel begins by saying that, that he is the true light. And, and John came bearing witness to the truth. And he is continually, even in that first chapter, bearing witness to him. True witness. Jesus said in John eighteen thirty seven, For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Sounds like someone today, right? What is truth? The Pharisees accused Jesus of false witness. They said, you bear witness of yourself. Your testimony is not true. Your witness is not true. But Jesus said that his words and his works bore a true witness about him and about the truth. He came not just to speak truth. He came to be The truth. He said, I am the way, what? The truth and the life. That's what he said. And he promised, I will, to his followers, I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth. He will bear witness to me. He will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit will convict of sin and he will also show us the truth and and, and how we can be more like Christ. And Jesus prayed for us. He, He prayed in John 17 for believers That what would help them overcome lying is this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He says, I'm not just praying for these following me now. I'm praying for all those who will believe in the future. And part of what he's praying for you, if you believe in him, is that you would be sanctified, changed, more like Christ by the truth. It's The word is truth. We need to be in the word. We need to be praying for the spirit of truth by the word of truth to change us in the truth. Acts 10, 43, all the prophets bear witness of Him, of Jesus, that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. That's what all the law and the prophets bore witness to. There's, there's this one coming, this Messiah. He's going he's gonna to bear the truth. And if you believe in Him, you can receive forgiveness of your sins, of, of even how you violate the truth. All of us who believe are called to bear witness the gospel truth. We're called to be witnesses to the ends of the earth in the book of Acts. We need to tell people Jesus is the way. He is the truth. There's no other way you can get to the Father except through Jesus. Even if that truth offends, it needs to be said and spoken by the people of truth. Your sins bear witness against you. But there is a righteousness. It was in our scripture reading earlier. There's a righteousness apart from the law, but the law bears witness to this righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. The world says being a good person gets you to heaven. The word of God says that is a lie from the pit of hell. No one can get to heaven by being a a good person. The gospel truth is that we are all bad people by nature, but there is a good one, Jesus, the good shepherd who laid down his life for us bad sheep. And if you turn from your sin to trust 
him alone. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth can set you free even from your tendencies and your temptations to misuse or misspeak the truth. See, the gospel has hope for us who falsely excuse our own sins. And we need the Spirit of God even to help us to when we're falsely uh, excusing our own sins, but also, and I know this is painful, and I've had to even talk and pray with people here, if, if you've been falsely accused by others of sin, things that are not true, said, those can wound and hurt deeply. The gospel story has hope for that as well. Remember, Jesus was slandered. His own family, at one time, his siblings thought he was out of his mind. They said he was a Samaritan. In other words, his mother really must have had him with someone else, not with Joseph. He must be a half-Jewish. He's a sinner because he's a friend of sinners. He hangs out with them. He's a Sabbath-breaker, they said. He's, he's, he does what he does by the power of Satan, they said. Horrible things they said about Jesus. And in his false trial, they brought all these false witnesses, but the problem was they couldn't get two or three to agree. There had to be two or three witnesses to condemn someone to death, but they were saying different things about him. And then finally, they got two who would take some words of his out of context about destroying the temple. And so they're, they're, they're saying, this guy is against Rome. He wants to wipe out this whole temple. Jesus was actually talking about himself, but... That was the false accusation that took him to the cross. And that night after he died, his enemies said to get guards. That deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. We need to set a guard because that deceiver, that guy who was deceiving all his life, he said he's going to rise again. So those disciples are going to try to steal the body. And even his disciple Peter earlier that day lied and denied Jesus three times. He said, even if everyone else falls away, I will never deny you. And then then there he is, in fear, cowering before them. Weren't you with that man? I don't know the man. He swears with an oath, I do not know that man. Even as his accent gave him away as being from Galilee, he denied it. But Jesus had grace for Peter. Jesus has grace for us. Our Savior offers healing and hope and help for the deceit in our mouths. Even if we've done something like Peter has done, even if there's something we still look back upon it and feel horrible. I I can imagine Peter at times would hear a rooster crow in his morning and instantly that's the thought he wakes up with. But the Lord restored Peter, and I think Peter learned how to take those thoughts and those memories and be reminded of when that thought would come from his enemy, the slanderer, the devil, to be reminded of, remember on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus came, and Jesus restored me, and Jesus has reaffirmed our relationship and, and asked me if I loved him and then gave me the assignment, even after all I'd done, to take care of my sheep, feed the flock, love the lambs. We need to remember this is what Peter would later write in 1 Peter 2. Christ suffered for you. No deceit was found in his mouth. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And listen to this. By his wounds you have been healed. Through his wounds, we can be healed even from painful things of the past, things that weren't right, people that said things that weren't right. Think of the Savior and and think of how he suffered and how by his wounds he can heal us. That's 1 Peter 2, and he starts the chapter by saying we need to put off deceit. We need to put off all slander, all hypocrisy. And, And then he goes from there to say we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. I think Pastor Coral will be preaching on that section in the weeks ahead. Taste and see the Lord is good. The good news is the only one with no deceit suffered for your sins and mine of deceit. For us who have borne false witness against our neighbors, he bore truly our sin and he truly bore God's wrath. 
of the lake of fire for it. And to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation calls Jesus the faithful witness. And the risen returning one, he's sitting on a white horse, Revelation 19. He's called faithful and true. That's what, as he comes again, that's his name. His name is faithful and true to all of his promises. And he's going to come, that chapter says, and, and take the false prophet who deceives and cast him into the lake of fire and other liars with him who have not repented. And, and then this, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, as Revelation calls him, He's going to be cast in the abyss for a thousand years, it says, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. And that power to defeat Satan is also power that can defeat our sins before the end. His gospel truly can change his children to walk in the truth. And I love what John said later in his life. He said he had no greater joy than to see his children walking in the truth. We don't all see that with all of our children, but what a joy, isn't it? Those of you that see children and grandchildren and even some great-grandchildren hearing the truth and praying that they would keep walking in the truth, there's no greater joy than that. God can help us to think on what is true, honorable, just, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. He can help us to be a new person. Like Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. If, if you would turn to Ephesians 4, I want to close with some more of God's help to speak truth from this passage here where Paul in Ephesians 4 is, is giving gospel applications after three chapters of gospel truth. He's talking about how to put it into practice. Ephesians four fifteen, rather... This is different than how it used to be or deceitful schemes in the prior verse. Rather, speaking the truth in what? In love. His, the truth being spoken isn't enough. That's not the only thing we need to ask. If it's rough in the way we're speaking it, if it's not love, we need to wait until we can speak it that way. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And verse 32 says, be, be kind. But some of you have seen this before. I want to I want st- to look at this one more time and think about this. Before you speak, based on Ephesians 4 and these verses here, we need to think before we speak. Think, is what I'm about to say, T-H-I-N-K, is it first T, is it true? But not only that, is it helpful? There's things that we can say that are true that are not helpful. We can be brutal in what we say. And I, am I imparting grace to those who hear? Am I seeking to be gracious and to impart grace? Verse 29 talks about that. And then N, is it, is it necessary now? Is now the time to, to share this? Is, is this going to edify? And then K, is it kind? Is it loving? Boy, if we could just put this into practice, what a world of difference that could make. Here's a couple of ways we can pray. In fact, let's... Let's, let's read these out loud together. Psalm 119, 29. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And remove falsehood and lies far from me. So help us, God, 
to tell the truth to others. There's, there's a real danger that we can just, in, this, in these minutes ahead, lie to ourselves as we leave. And the danger is described in the book of James this way. Be hearers, or be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So there's a danger. Anytime we hear God's word, that we can be deceiving ourselves, that we don't need to apply that. If if anyone's a, a hearer of the word and not a doer only, he says he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. You, you see something, yeah, I should probably do something with that, but then you immediately go and you forget what kind of person you are. But the one who looks, James says, who looks intently at the perfect law, that's what we've been looking at, God's perfect law, looks at the law of liberty. This is a law that can actually set us free from sin. When you look at that law of liberty and you abide by it, in other words, you apply it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, it says he deceives his own heart. You think you're okay, you think you're religious, and you're not bridling your tongue. You are deceiving yourself, and that is worthless religions. So help us, God, to not be that person that goes away deceiving ourselves. Trust in Christ. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change you and to help you to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Our God, we thank you for your truth and your word and your grace. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth comes through Jesus. He is full of grace and truth. And Lord, we think of ways that we have called evil good or good evil or or given judgmental opinions that are rash or or harsh. We've misconstrued intentions, words, and actions. We've We've thought or spoken too highly or too poorly of ourselves or others. We've exaggerated the significance of even trivial things. We've concealed, we've excused, we've rationalized, or even gratuitously repeated things that we shouldn't have, even failures of others. Lord, help us to promote the good of others and love and their good name and to avoid whatever we can that would violate your word. Thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ, but I pray that you would change us for the glory of his name, we pray. Amen.